Hi, I'm Frank, and you're listening to the first episode of the Offscreen Podcast, where we talk about the history of video games and my opinions and experiences with gaming. Now, let's get into it. Let's go from the beginning. It all started in 1958, when a physicist named William Higginbottom invented the first game, Tennis for Two. Although many other simple games like this were made around the same time, they never left the lab they were invented in, mainly because they were played on very expensive machines. Then, the man now known as the godfather of video games, Ralph Baird, released The Odyssey. Released in 1972, The Odyssey was a game-changing, no pun intended, console that would revolutionize the video game industry. Around this time, a new company was starting to develop their own console. Atari had entered the industry. Fun fact, did you know that the founder of Atari, Nolan Bushnell, is also the founder of Chuck E. Cheese? Atari released the extremely popular game known as Pong on an arcade machine which was so successful that they let you take Pong home with you and made a version for the Odyssey console. But Atari soon had competition. The video game business was starting to get more traction and more companies got interested in investing their resources into this new industry. It was inevitable that another company would hop on this video game train. That's when the game Space Invaders was made. The company that developed this game, Midway, had entered the business. Atari had some competition. Here we have game developer Jacob, who tells us why he makes games. Um, Alright, hi Jacob, Um, nice to meet you. Um, Thank you for agreeing to do this interview with me. Um, So, are you ready? Yeah. Alright, cool. So, into the questions. Um, Why do you make games? Since I was uh, pretty much probably your age, I was in middle school and... My whole life before that, I had never really had a video game console or anything of that of that nature. My parents had always kept them away from us, and I started. I got my first Xbox way back in 2001 or 2002, and we started playing that. My brother and I and a couple of friends, and I really enjoyed it. I always just played it over at friends' houses, and I'm like, as I grew up, I was like, I really want to make games. And uh, after high school, I uh, worked for a few years, and then I enrolled at school majored in web design and then transferred to university for a computer science degree and part of the influence for that was I wanted to make games. Space Invaders went on to become the second highest selling arcade game of all time. What's number one? Well, we'll get into that later. For now, we'll talk about one of the key components that led to Space Invaders success, the high score. This was the first time the high score was featured in the game. The reason why the high score caused the game to be so successful was the replayability. All people wanted to do was beat their high score. That's what drives us to keep playing these seemingly repetitive games. You keep playing to beat yourself. The high score went on to be featured in thousands of other games and was a main feature in most successful games. And with that came a competitive scene in video games. The score feature of the game gave players a way to measure who is doing better or, in a tournament or competition, winning. The player with the highest score, when they die, wins. Here we have competitive Overwatch player Xpatrick, who tells us how he got introduced to competitive Overwatch. Uh, hi, my name's Patrick. Uh, 16 and I've been playing competitive Overwatch for about two years. How did you get introduced to competitive gaming? Um, so I pretty much, I've grown up around uh, games my whole life. And so i've been playing games but it was nothing really like competitive and then one day i had a buddy that came over from playstation and he played overwatch on there and he was like we should get it on pc so we all bought it and then at some point i think like season 16 i decided i wanted to start 
trying, so I grinded the rank ladder and joined the team. Atari struck back at Midway by releasing Asteroids, a game where you play as a ship destroying space rocks coming from all angles. Fast forward to 1980, remember when I mentioned how we would talk about the number one best-selling arcade game? Well, you've probably already heard of it, the bright yellow circular sector we all know and love, Pac-Man. A surprise to many at Midway, the creators of Pac-Man, was the game was extremely popular in the US, when they expected it to be popular in their country of Japan. Not only was Pac-Man released in 1980, but color in video games was invented. Pac-Man was mainly created to appeal to all sorts of audiences, but mainly women. Credit to the Netflix show High Score for the following audio. Turns out, American girls couldn't get enough. Men like the sports games, the action games, and the space games. Women are insane about this game. Pac-Man is so cute. <laughs> it is, it's so cute. I like the little guys go by and jump on everything. What makes Pac-Man cute? Because little <laughs> Everything was going great. Pac-Man had made over a billion dollars in just a year. Let's go forward some more. 1981 to be exact. Nintendo released the earliest video game to have a story. It was a pretty generic story, but a story nonetheless. Basically, Mr. Jumpman, as he was once referred to, had his girlfriend, Pauline, kidnapped by a giant ape named Donkey Kong. Any similarity to a related story was purely coincidental and was not meant with any malevolent intent. Oh, oh, it's 1982 and... Universal Studios is suing Nintendo because Donkey Kong is, this, I mean, not the same as uh, King Kong? Well, don't worry, uh, Nintendo actually ends up winning somehow? Here we have Alfredo Ratmaroff, a gamer in the 70s and 80s, tell us what it was like back then. Hi, um, my name is Alfredo Ratmaroff. I am Frank's father, and I used to be an avid gamer back in the 80s. Uh, I started in the 70s playing the very early versions of uh, consoles like Atari, uh, then uh, we started using something called Intellivision, I think it was. But where we really played, where we really met our challengers was in the arcades, where we would go for weekends at a time, entire weekends at a time, to play the quarter machines. Uh, and that was just part of our lives back then. What were the arcades like? Well, it was basically the place to be. I mean, um, that's where you would want to be on the weekends, and if you could on the weekdays, if their parents let you. But the thing is that you have to play machines that you have to put a quarter for each game you play. You guys are lucky because you get to play you know, your Playstations and your Xboxes without having to put little coins. So I would actually have to work, wash cars, mow lawns, clean windows to get money so that on the weekends I could go to the arcade and just play you know, with my friends for as long as we could. But it was actually, you know, we would spend 20, 30, 40 dollars a night to be able to play. You guys just buy a machine, a console, and get to play, you know, non you know, endless, non-stop, unlimited. It's kind of odd. I mean, things have been going so well for video games, it's making me paranoid. I mean, statistically, something bad has to happen by now. You know what? What am I saying? What could go wrong? Video games are still in the golden age, they'll never <laughs> The video game crash of 1983. 
Video games have gone through a long and hard journey and have become one of the biggest forms of entertainment in the world. My name is Frank Ratmore from the Offscreen Podcast. Thanks for listening and make sure to come back for our next episode where we complete the story on the rise and fall and rise of video games.